1: Continuing our discussion about media and about information and how you get information and the necessity to be discerning in processing that information. Joe Rogan's been in the news big time. Look, I'm not a listener to the Joe Rogan podcast. I grab the salient sound bites from it from time to time. Uh, He seems to me to be a uh, completely unthreatening person. Uh, He has uh, political views that do not match my own. He was going to vote for Bernie Sanders. He said so. Isn't it interesting how the left is now targeting Joe Rogan, uh, that he must be canceled because he had, uh, you know, Robert Malone and Peter McCullough on his show, and they dared to say things like, hey, if you're young, you may not need the COVID-19 vaccine. Hey, masks don't work. Hey, mRNA technology, uh, which I invented, uh, has some downsides to it. All this is information that is too dangerous for you to even hear so you are not savvy enough to process it will hurt your delicate sensibilities and could be uh, debilitating for your future if you dare hear the other side of the approved message that is what the left would have you believe regarding Joe Rogan's podcast now Joe Rogan, of course, posted a 10-minute, was that an apology, The clarification? I mean, he did say at one point in time, I'm sorry if I ticked you off. So I guess if the words I'm sorry are in it, it is somewhat of 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 an apology. But as I reflected on what Rogan said the other day, he also supported his previous podcast that banked millions and millions of downloads with McCullough and Malone by noting that, you know, at one point in time, you couldn't say masks, cloth masks didn't work. Now they're saying that on CNN at one point in time, you couldn't say that if you were vaccinated, you could still get infected with COVID and still spread COVID. Now we know that to be true. So Rogan made that point, but here's what he didn't say. He didn't say, so go away leave me alone, uh, and kiss a certain part of my anatomy. He didn't say that. Now, Joe Rogan is not averse to saying those kinds of things. Joe Rogan's a heavily tattooed, big-time MMA guy. He's got a $100 million Spotify contract. He's untouchable from a revenue-producing standpoint. And make no mistake. If you produce revenue, you will always have a platform with someone because even though we're told capitalism is evil, people like making money, and Joe Rogan is a money maker. There's also a certain appeal to Joe Rogan because there are enough contrarians left in our world who will always want to hear the voice of the person that the powerful don't want you to hear. That is Joe Rogan's voice. That is Joe Rogan's podcast. That is why Howard Stern rose to popularity. Although since Howard Stern, who I never listened to and always thought was vile and disgusting, since Howard Stern has become what he used to decry, he has become what he used to despise. He has become one of the favored. He has now become less than he used to be because he is parroting all the viewpoints of the people in power, which makes him part of the power structure. Rogan is not that yet. And he's not that because he's willing to have Peter McCullough and Robert Malone on his podcast. He's willing to call out Sanjay Gupta face-to-face, which is how it should be done of CNN. He's willing to say that CNN is crazed and zealous in its Ridiculous characterization of ivermectin as a horse dewormer. But when I reflect on Joe Rogan's clarification slash apology, there was a part of it that left me very uneasy because he didn't double down on telling the people who criticize him go pound sand. Go pound sand. He seemed to me uncomfortably deferential and uncomfortably willing to embrace things that I think he could have been well justified in saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to let Spotify put a warning label on my podcast. They signed me to a $100 million deal and didn't have any problem with anything on my podcast, now because all you nutcases out there are complaining about things that I've exposed ahead of the rest of you crazed people are bogus, now you want me to put warning labels on my podcast. Not going to do it. And if Spotify makes me do it, then they've broken my contract, and I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. I'll just be doing it somewhere else. I would like to have seen Joe Rogan call Spotify's bluff on that. But instead, he embraced it. Now, from the Spotify side, their CEO, his name is Daniel Eck, told employees at Spotify yesterday that we don't have any editorial discretion over Joe Rogan's podcast. We don't book his guests, And we know maybe he has spread misinformation, but we don't have any control over that. This is not an organization that is four square behind Joe Rogan. And don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. If we are headed for a day when Spotify either, either clamps down more on content on its platform, like the previously unbridled information Rogan has been allowing to emanate from his studio, Don't be surprised if Joe Rogan loses his authenticity, compromises his candor. Don't be surprised at that. His clarification to me was a guy who didn't respond to the criticism he received over McCullough's and Malone's comments with defiance and with assurance that. Hey, these guys have their view, and in a land like America where freedom of speech still theoretically exists in law, I'm going to give them a platform. I'll give Fauci a platform. I'll give Walensky a platform. If they want to come in and sit with me, if they have the courage to sit across from me like these two guys did, I made them no assurances about what I would ask them. I made them no assurances about how I would vouch for their information. I just gave them a platform to speak, and they were willing to come in. And they were willing to answer questions. And if you guys who think differently want to come in and do that, then bring it. That would have been a much better response from Joe Rogan in that case. But that's not what he said. Sorry if I upset you. I'm willing to put labels on my podcast. Maybe I need to have other people on after I have Malone and McCullough on to give the other side of what they had to say. What? So the podcast now is going to be six hours long, Joe Rogan? Because if they talk for two and a half, then we're going to have some other person on there to get the last word for three hours? The more I think about Rogan's response, the less I like it. And the more I think it portends that there's a very great possibility he's going to follow the path of Howard Stern. That instead of being the guy out there who is doing what he's done to get where he is, he's going to bend, and right now it's only a few degrees, but he's going to bend to the pressure from the left. I hope it doesn't happen, but I see the seeds of it happening in what has already happened. And it troubles me because there are a lot of people out there. I always say we're not in the minority. We are not the minority, but we are the silent majority. We have a few voices who speak powerfully on our behalf. We have some people at Fox. We have some people at even more conservative outlets. We have Ben Shapiro. We have Breitbart and then we have some who speak on our behalf, but, you know, honestly, I'm not quite sure I want to link arms with Steve Bannon. Rogan was a guy that I'm like, look, he's not even affiliated with me politically, and yet he's willing to see, you know what, Rogan is like the podcast version of Glenn Greenwald. I don't share virtually any values or outlooks like Glenn Greenwald, but on freedom of speech and on calling out true disinformation in the media. Glenn Greenwald is a champion. As long as people on the right can find common ground with people like Glenn Greenwald, there's a real and true hope that America can get back to what America was founded to be, a free exchange of ideas. But when people like Rogan, who are part of that powerful coalition of Bernie Sanders voters and Donald Trump voters, but they're united on freedom of speech, which there is no more enduring American value than freedom. If Rogan's willing to start compromising on that, then he's leaving the camp of the army we need to overcome this censorship mindset that is existing everywhere in our culture. I hope I'm wrong about what I see in Joe Rogan. The only way to tell is to watch him going forward and to see who's on his podcast and to see how he handles it. But I see the warning signs. And one of the reasons why I do what I do is to try to point out those warning signs so that we don't get caught by surprise. Joe Biden this morning took a victory lap and he's entitled to it uh, over the death of an ISIS leader in northwest Syria. No U.S. casualties. That's perfect. Great. Fantastic. Now he's headed to New York City and he's headed to New York City to no doubt appear with uh, New York Mayor Eric Adams. Adams is a Democrat. And Biden understands, because even though he says, I don't believe the polls. He knows what the polls say. And what the polls say is that Joe Biden is not popular, and that one of the main reasons that he's pop, that he's unpopular is because of escalating crime across the country. Uh, we saw yesterday in New York, for the second time in five days, a mammoth police funeral. People lined up for blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks, officers in uniform, citizens paying tribute to Wilbert Mora. And the story of these two cops, most recently shot and killed in Harlem, is a powerful story with the American electorate. These are two minority citizens who wanted to be police officers because they wanted to better their community, and they died in the line of duty at a young age with widows and moms who tell powerful stories from in front of a microphone, racked with grief, angry over the tolerance and indulgence of crime in New York, and in tandem with the shootings of other police around the country, uh, notably the constable in Houston who's gunned down by an illegal alien. Cop stops the car. Alien gets out of the car with a rifle, an assault rifle, and just doesn't even give him a chance, just opens fire. You've seen the video of the cruiser with multiple bullet holes in the windshield. And this guy had a $100,000 plus job, left it because he wanted to serve his community. So Biden's going to New York today and he's going to make some kind of an announcement about crime. This is a hard sell for Joe Biden to be tough on crime because, of course, While Jen Psaki can say it until she's blue in the face to go with her red hair and her white lies. That's the only thing truly American about her. She can say that she's blue in the face that Joe Biden, oh, he's never for defunding the police. Really? I'm not sure I buy that Joe Biden was an active crusader against defunding the police when he spent 90 minutes meeting with the family of Jacob Blake who is one of the stories that the left uses to marginalize police. Oh, Jacob Blake. He was shot in the back, you know, seven times, and he was paralyzed. The evil police in Kenosha, Wisconsin, who shot Jacob Blake. Yeah, because Jacob Blake was going to drive away with the children of a woman who had called in to 911 asking for protection from Jacob Blake, who had previously sexually assaulted her multiple times. Jacob Blake, who fought with police officers, Jacob Blake, who was not debilitated by a taser, Jacob Blake, who had the strength to resist two officers, make his way to his car, reach into his car for a knife, that Jacob Blake. Joe Biden spent 90 minutes with his family and talked to Jacob Blake on the phone. Has he spent any time talking to any of these families of these officers who've been shot and killed this month? No, he has not. He's going to go to New York today, and he's going to make this big public profession that he's anti-crime and that we got to do something and cops are our backbone and all this – the words mean less than the previous actions. Joe Biden is not going to ever be hard on crime. He used to be. The crime bill that he backed, he's apologized for. And so the crime bill years and years ago when, you know, America understood that criminals needed to be in prison and that punishment needed to be a result of lawbreaking. We've gotten to the point now where the people who commit the crimes, in the eyes of the left, only commit the crimes because they've been oppressed and forced into that. They had no choice, and it's really your fault because either you're white or you're rich or you're part of the power structure or you're part of the patriarchy. There's no individual accountability anymore. They're not responsible for their crimes, so we shouldn't put them in prison. We shouldn't require bail or we should have low bail. These are all policies that the Democratic Party embraces that Kamala Harris specifically advocated for. So you can't be the leader of your party when your party is decidedly more pro-criminal.